Welcome to the Halloween is Forever podcast. We're here for another mini-sode. I'm Brian. I'm Megan. I'm Steve. Hey, welcome. We are here once again, trying out a lot of intros. What'd you guys think about that one? The the channeling Ned Flanders? That was the last <laughs> I minute mean, decision. <laughs> I'm here for it. it. You know, it would be more apropos when we do our favorite uh, Treehouse of Horror episodes, but you know, yeah. yeah. I was going to yeah. do, initially, my thought was I was going to do like a step right up, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages kind of thing. And I was like, no, nah, that's more of a carnival <laughs> than an amusement park. <laughs> yeah, maybe uh, it should, for every subgenre, we'll just like come up with a new, yeah, so do yeah. something different. Yeah. Uh, I like it. <laughs> in any case, uh, we are here. The deed is done. We are started off uh, with our, our next weekly mini-sode for you. We have chosen to review and discuss an only slightly less depressing movie than we watched last week. Um, and you know what? Meg didn't even pick this one. We all agreed <laughs> yeah. to do this movie. This was not in a movie that was inflicted upon us. This was a movie we had a consensus agreement that we were all going to discuss. Um, but of course, it was a first time watch. And we're going to talk about uh, the recently released, once thought lost, uh, George A. Romero feature the amusement park from 1973. Um, but before we get into that, I guess, first of all, I forgot last time to talk about what, what, what are we drinking this evening? Have you got any beers in front of them? I don't have a beer in front of me, but I do have a beer that I've been drinking. Uh, I picked up a four pack of the Necromancer Black IPA. Oh, poker, the poker face. I fuck with a black IPA. Face. I fuck Sorry. with lady. I, fu I fuck with Gaga, <laughs> and I fuck with a black IPA. Um, and I love. Ne I've only had like one Necromancer beer, but they're obviously um, immediately attracted to their art on their labels mm -hmm. uh, and the names mm -hmm. of their beers and stuff. So so spoopy. Yeah, was it? Good? Yeah. It was pretty tasty, huh? Yeah, it's pretty tasty. It, interestingly, though, it's like a lot softer and lighter than a lot of other black IPAs that I've had, okay. especially ones released with like an R market. Yeah. Like the, uh, the grist house hops of darkness is probably my favorite mm. of the recent ones that have come out. Yeah. Cause it's like really roasty and bold. This one's a lot like lighter and citrusy. Interesting. It yeah. They even say on the label that they use a lot of midnight wheat in yeah. the recipe. Mm. So it seems like that made it, that just achieved the darkness without adding any roast or anything. Yeah. To it. That's what a lot of like the first gen ones were. Cause a lot of people used Carafa or Dehaus mm -hmm. black malt and then midnight wheat. Yeah. It's just like, it's a Breeze proprietary product, but it's like 600 love or something. It's crazy, crazy dark. Mm -hmm. So a little bit goes a long way. And we're getting real inside baseball and brewer turns right off the bat, ladies oh, and yeah. gentlemen, <laughs> talking about dehust, carafa malt. You know how those horror nerds love their dehust black malt. Um, and talking love a bond, ladies and gentlemen. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I, I, I love me a, I love me a black IPA. Meg, mm -hmm. I know what you've been getting up to, and I want you to fess I'm up to it on the living, podcast. I am living lawless. 
house lately. I am drinking for effect. <laughs> and I've been smashing these White Claw hard seltzer iced teas, and yeah. I am here for it. We just were talking before we started. You're just trying to get booze in your veins. Uh, you know what? Yeah, the blood needs the booze, you know? Listen, we've they're, all been they're married. Uh, yeah, no, I know what you're talking about because I'm like, I, I was going, I was, I was avoiding them because I, I like, I like seltzers, you know, especially if I'm just like pounding them. And I'm like, let's, let's get fucked up tonight. Mm. But I was like, no, this is going to be too sweet. I'm not going to like it. I hate very sweet things. And hey, it's not actually too bad, you know. Nice. Hey, if you're drinking for effect, drink the claws. Did <laughs> you get a variety pack of the iced teas um, or you- of corpse? I did. <laughs> What what is your favorite flavor you've keyed in on from the? Yo. I, that, I'm sorry, that tickled me. I don't know why I didn't mean to over deliver on that joke, but it was a good one. Um, actually, I mean, I'm pretty basic, and I'm 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 sipping on the peach right now, but I'm really down on the lemon. You know, pretty basic. I, I feel like I can get with the seltzers as long as they're citrus or mango. I, I I'll fucks with mango. Citrus ones I like. Mm-hmm. Um, when you get into the berry ones. They start to get real medicinal and weird. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I haven't had too many. I was curious, if, like, even if we're talking about seltzers for a second, if you've had any of the more like craft seltzers that are out now, because I mean, at my brewery that I work at, we've been trying them and we didn't want to, we didn't add any like just actual fruit to them. We wanted to try to like make sure it came out clear, make sure it, we were just like in the like aroma and a little bit of flavor character. But, um, all I see are when craft brewers are doing it now, they're like, well, yeah, we're going to do seltzer, but we're going to put a lot of fruit in it. And I'm like, oh, so it's just like a smoothie that's boozy. Yeah. Yeah. There's some of them that are not only that, but they're like 350 calories a serving. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, totally that's an anti seltzer. You're just <laughs> drinking pure, pure. You might as well just drink the antiseptic fruit puree at that point. Like, yeah. Uh, but, um, Anyway, uh, I am drinking, <laughs> as you might expect, um, a little little, little lager. Um, I'll splash a little bit more in there and I'll show you again. This is uh, Notch Brewing uh, Yednatka, which mm. uh, is a Czech amber lager, a.k.a. Polo Tamave, or half-dark lager, uh, a style that you never, ever, ever saw until like two years ago, and now Brewers are starting to make them a little bit. Notch is one that has been making them for a while, but it's basically like a, I mean, the name, it just means 11. I think it's for their 11th anniversary, and it's an 11-degree beer, 11-degree Play-Doh beer. I, um, I just love everything they put out. Like, oh, I know you so and I talk, I, do, I assume you got another order from them. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. I need, I need to as well. Yeah, I can't control myself. It's like I check probably once a week, twice a week, and just, like, check to see whenever they up, you know, because usually, like, a Tuesday or something, mm-hmm. they'll update their, their website, and as soon as I see some logger I've not had before, or even any, with the Zwickle, anything, I just, uh, I can't help myself. Yeah, I can't, I can't help, I can't help but highlight that brewery, though, too, because I feel like you're not only just, like, drinking these really cool, like, traditional styles, but, like, ones that you don't get to see that often, so I can't tote them enough to, like, if you ever get a chance to try their beer, try their beer. Yeah, it's just, I haven't had one that not only have I not had one that wasn't good, I haven't had one that wasn't like really impressive. I will purposefully save that Pitchland Pills bottle that I have for whenever we record in person. Yay. And then we can then we can uh, <laughs> we can all talk about it together. Yeah. Yeah. So Brian, you would say you're checking for checks when you're on their website? Uh, 
<laughs> you did it. You did it, you bastard. You're throwing out beer puns. We haven't even got into the movie. Dad's I like, here. I like, the, I like the festive environment. Steve, sniper in the weeds over there. Um, all right. Yeah. So so uh, let's let's jump into the flick a little bit here. So for, for I guess before we jump into it, we should call out, uh, you know, the thing that really made us want to talk about this film and made me excited to, to watch it was a lot of promotion by Shudder as a you know, this was a Shudder exclusive release. Um, and the whole idea was this was like a lost work by George A. Romero. I know I'm a huge fan. Um, I think if you live in Western Pennsylvania, Pittsburgh area, it's a prereq. Um, I think the quickest way to get into a fist fight in a bar in Pittsburgh is to try to talk shit on George Romero or maybe <laughs> Mario Lemieux uh, or, or something like that. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm a big fan. What, what do you guys kind of experience? Let's do this. This might be fun. What's your What was the first George Romero movie you saw? And what's your favorite George Romero movie? Not to put you on the spot. But. Yeah. Um, so I, the first one either has to be the original Night of the Living Dead mm -hmm. or Dawn of the Dead. Yeah. I can't remember which of the two I'd seen just because, like, I mean, I both my parents were fans of both. Mm -hmm. So they and they had like some connections, like like one of my mom's like third cousins or something was a zombie in night. And of course, like they had all been to the Monroeville Mall yeah. through the seventies, so uh, yeah, I can't remember which one. Um, but favorite, it still comes back to like dawn or day. Yeah, like they both, you know, they they both have their really great points. I think at this point, I might be a bigger a bigger fan of day. Oh, that's so, I'm so excited to hear you say that because I thought <laughs> I was going to be ridiculed for saying the same thing. <laughs> no, no, no I, I just think I think the I think the effects have held up a little bit better. Mm -hmm. I agree. I think I think I like the I like the procedural nature of Dawn of the Dead. And I like the way the story's told, but it just visually, it's a, getting a little gimmicky in its age. Whereas day is very you know claustrophobic because it's all underground yeah mm -hmm. and the visuals you know like like when roads gets torn in half oh my god that that still holds up as one of the best visual effects like I'm, I'm, I'm getting literally I'm not to be dramatic I'm getting goosebumps <laughs> just thinking about it when you say that I love that scene I love I love all you know the all three of the uh the dead you know original three franchise uh they they all are just right up there for me. I'll, Meg, what, what are yours? So because I, I think I've exposed myself and saying like, I got into horror movies a little bit later in my life. Like I had first seen like the newer crazies movie. Yeah. And mm -hmm. so that was probably like one of my more early introductions to George A. Romero. I mean, I've obviously, I think I was aware of like night of the living dead and all of that. But mm -hmm. one of the first movies I watched was the crazies because I, I loved the newer one. And then like, I obviously had to see the OG and I, equally love that one so that's that's the one with 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 my husband timothy oliphant <laughs> <laughs> someday I, I will make him mine uh i love me some timothy oliphant steve we talked about that on your podcast didn't we yeah Talk i believe about, I, that's such a weird so. yeah um i have a long and storied uh one-sided relationship with timothy oliphant um yeah so i i know the, the first one i saw was definitely night of the living dead and i remember when i saw it like it was one of those like uh, uh, pivotal moments for me in 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 kind of my horror development. My my uh, 
what did we call it on the original by origin story? Um, yes, yeah, I, think we, I think we talked about that. Spelled with a W, uh, origin um, was being after trick or treat on Halloween night. I was probably nine or eight or nine years old, and we saw go trick or treating, and then we'd all, me, my brother, my cousins, you know, aunts and uncles, everybody would end up at my grandparents' house after trick or treat kind of hours were over. And they had Night of the Living Dead on their big old console TV. And I remember sitting there like lining up and counting all my almond joys and getting ready to trade them away and, and you know, in- inventorying all of my treats and the scene with the, the girl in the basement. They discover her eating her mother in the basement, which is maybe the most brutal, <laughs> brutal part of the movie. Um, and otherwise, you know, fairly, I mean, for the time, obviously, really, really graphic, but like by modern st- you know standards nothing too crazy except for maybe that one and i remember just watching it going what the fuck is happening and just being like (laughs) mesmerized and terrified and uh and and scarred for life in a good way so that was my first one but i think probably it would be a toss-up again between um dawn and day and i might have it have to give it to day Mm -hmm. uh for Mm -hmm. for a lot of the same reasons that that i just feel like yeah the Dawn is 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 just such a, like a fun, silly bounce around, but it also is yeah a procedure in a way. It's like this is what would happen, and this is how you would handle it, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas Day of the Dead, there's just the performances, the the tension, and mm-hmm. I think it has better characters too. Even though I I really love uh, everyone Dawn of the Dead, and interestingly enough, you said your like third cousin or something was was a zombie in in Day in Night of the Living Dead. That's like a really common Western Pennsylvania thing. Like people <laughs> right. people know people who are in these movies right yeah my my wife's whole family's from from monroeville i used to live in monroeville i spent a lot of time at the monroeville mall i've been to the old i don't know if it's still there there was a a, like a little zombie museum in one of the stores in the monroeville mall and then of course evan city is right up the road from where i live as well Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. here's a really cool story um and this bleeds right into it my wife works at hospital used to work at a hospital in monroeville Mm -hmm. um and she's talking to one of her coworkers, who i think he was i think he's a nurse and they just get to chatting while they're like waiting for something to get done and it comes up that he was in dawn of the dead and my wife is like are you serious my husband's a huge fan loves the movie and she was like uh you know who did you play he was like oh i was the pie face zombie and she's oh. like, no fucking way. She, he's like, yeah, I'll bring you in. I'll bring you in a, a glossy. So the next day, he brings me in, and people oh at home can't God. see this, but I'm gonna I'm gonna post this. I posted it before. He brings this in. It's that a screenshot awesome. of this guy. His name's John, and he even autographed it. Brian, there are dead among us. Thanks for being a fan. <laughs> the quote pie face zombie John, and and like signed it for me and. You would have thought like she brought Tom Savini to my house. I was <laughs> so fucking excited because it's like such a small thing. It's such an obscure role. But anybody who loves that movie, you say pie, you, you know exactly what you're talking mm-hmm. about. Yeah. Right? It's one of two guys. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, I was just so it, it just was the coolest, most obscure, like perfect, uh, perfectly obscure uh, person to run into from that movie. So that's so um, awesome. Huge, huge fan of that one. But yeah, you can't you can't go anywhere in Western Pennsylvania without someone knowing somebody who was involved with some of the, you know, one of those flicks. Even Day of the Dead was shot in like a, most of it was shot in like a, right, a mine shaft or something out in Koppel or something like that. Mm. Uh, was it Koppel or was it like... Wampum. Uh, Koppel or Yeah, Wampum. it was the, it was the Wampum because I've <laughs> yeah. actually been in those mines. Yeah. And these names are so good. 
my friend had like a little like a small car collection yeah but he he had a miata and he stored it in the wampum mines oh yeah because pe- there's that racetrack out that way too mm-hmm. right oh that makes yeah. sense yeah wampum not couple you're you're 100 right i've never yeah. been there but i've always wanted to it's super interesting though because you can walk around you can kind of see things but like it, right now it's like it's all full of cars and trailers and boats yeah it's mostly storage it just, now mm-hmm. I've, I've read that that it's like storage yeah. now because it wasn't it built for something in like some sort of government project like in the in the 50s or something um, mm, possibly yeah because um, i mean it was it was just a salt mine and then yes. i think the government took it over for projects but now it's like it's weird because the walls are all painted over so it's so it's salt mine walls, but with like gray primer. <laughs> oh, beautiful. beautiful. I'm sure it really adds a lot of charm to the place. Um, Have yeah, either of wild. you guys been to any of the um, Living Dead Weekend uh, at either Monroeville or Evan yeah. City? I, fucking, I actually haven't. I, oh, really? Mm. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Enjoy, I usually go to the Evan City when I haven't been to the one in Monroeville. Yeah, I, I haven't been to the one in Monroeville, but they always do stuff when they do like the Steel City Con and everything mm-hmm. in uh, in Monroeville. But yeah, I my wife and I in um, not obviously not last year, so it would have been 2019. We went and saw um, a screening of Night of the Living Dead at the the Strand Theater in downtown mm-hmm. Zillionopole, okay. which is right up the road. And uh, Russ Striner, who played Johnny. You know the 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 brother at the beginning that does mm-hmm. the you're, they're coming oh, to get you. Okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. And he was also like part of the production team. He was like a close, I think, like business associate of of George Romero for a lot of years. He was he came and, and spoke um, about the movie, or you know, I think it was before or after the movie. I don't know. I was. Uh, very stoned. Um, I remember at, <laughs> at one point, actually, um, my wife and I are sitting there, and uh, they said something about uh, Chili Chili Billy Cardill, you know, who is who's in Night of the Living Dead, who's a very mm-hmm. famous uh, horror host for many years. You know, hosted like the Chiller, the local version of Chiller Theater, and in. in the Pittsburgh market. Um, and somebody said something about his name. I'm a big fan of, um, you know, horror hosts and something. He mentioned his name and I did like a woo, you know, and I was the only person <laughs> in the crowd that did it. And everyone just looked at me and I was way too stoned for everyone looking at me. Um, but it was, it was super fun. Yeah. To see it in, in that like small little one screen theater there. So I'm not going to lie. I love going to the one in Evan city for the, um, dog Halloween costume contest. That's, like, yeah. that's, 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 <laughs> <laughs> Bruce and I were Bonnie yeah. and Clyde two years ago. <laughs> that is the most uh, the most authentic Romero Western PA horror experience you can get. Dog costume contest. I know. Dog costumes. Uh, I love it. Oh man. Well, um, yeah, you can't you can't be a, a Yinzer, you can't be a Western Pennsylvania resident without loving George Romero. So, um, interestingly enough, uh, a little bit on. So he he is uh, he's born in the Bronx. But came to Pittsburgh as a uh, Carnegie Mellon student, went to CMU. Um, and then I just learned this kind of poking around online. Uh, one of his first gigs after he graduated from CMU was he did a segment for Mr. Rogers Neighborhood. And it was mm. a segment where Mr. Rogers is going to get his tonsils out. If mm. you remember that one. Um, so that. I, I now I want to rewatch that and see like if I can draw any parallels between mm-hmm. like the Dead series or anything like that and see if there was any <laughs> li- lines that were stolen from that or something. But um, and uh, yeah, so a little bit into the flick. So so like I said, this was um, I did not know what to expect going into this one. I had heard of it, um, 
but I think really only heard of it in like 2019 where it kind of resurfaced, right? Because it was originally mm-hmm. um, uh, shot in 1973. And I learned as we were kind of jumping into this um, that it was commissioned by the Lutheran Service Society of Western Pennsylvania as like a PSA slash educational film of sorts um, that was meant to bring about awareness of uh, issues of elder abuse and ageism, um, which incredibly um, uh, uh, straightforward when you watch the movie, but mm-hmm. going in completely blind, I was very surprised to have this like pre-credit sequence with the with who who you know we quickly learned is the star and really only ongoing character of the film um, that uh, he's the one talking at the beginning. He's talking mm-hmm. about like imagine what it would be like to be put in this situation and stuff. And I was like, what the hell am I getting myself into? <laughs> Were you guys surprised by that? Did you know what it was going in? I did not at all. Yeah. I just started watching it. I think at first I was a little overwhelmed by yeah. it. I, <laughs> no, I very... think that's kind of like what they were going for. Oh, they were totally. just trying to disorient you, right? I think, yeah, I definitely feel like they wanted you to feel what it could be like being someone at that age. And I felt like they did an amazing job at it. Yeah. I I, I had no idea either. And just you're saying you're talking about this preamble and I kind of read a little bit more that they had to put the preamble and then there's another kind of post roll after that mm-hmm. with the actor Lincoln Mazel. Yeah. The, just, just to kind of set it up. But even with the setup, I'm like, is this some kind of bizarre, like, uh, Twilight Zone episode? It feels very <laughs> Twilight Zone. You're definitely right. It, because it's, it's very surrealist. It's very disorienting. Obviously, the whole thing is like very low budget. Um, yeah, it, it was the first, I think, and only like feature that he was actually hired for. Um, shot it quick and dirty in three days between the release of, I think it was between the release of Season of the Witch, if you ever seen, which is which is a pretty cool one. I only watched like maybe last year for the first time, and The Crazies. So it was in mm-hmm. 1973, like right before The Crazies came out, like quick and dirty. They shot it at Westview Park. In, in Westview, which is a now it actually closed only a few years after this. It was a small, you know, kind of amusement park in the, the suburbs of Pittsburgh. And uh, yeah, and then it was considered lost until about 2017, where they found it and then worked with this company in New York to do like a full 4K release. I know they originally viewed it. And this is when I originally heard about it was they did a big premiere of it in Pittsburgh at I think a museum. And I don't remember exactly which one, but I think it was a museum in Pittsburgh in October of 2019. And I wanted to go and, and couldn't make it work. But and then didn't hear anything else about it. Right. Until mm-hmm. until they started promoting it as as a shutter exclusive. So, um, yeah, very disorienting, very frankly, very effective, I think, in, mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. But a um, uh, couple of couple of things about the uh, about the cast. Um, Steve, like you said, Lincoln, is it Maisel? Is that how yeah. you say his name? Lincoln Maisel. Yeah. Yeah. He um, he's really the only character. I don't think his character has a name. Did it, did, did he have a name? Did I miss that? No. I don't, no. Yeah, I don't remember hearing a name. That cat was born in 1903. <laughs> and he, yeah. ju- he just passed away in 2009. He was 106. Wow. That's wild. Yeah. That's a at, run. At the beginning of the film, he tells us that he's 71 years old. Like, I know. At, as him as himself, he says, I'm 71 years old. And mm-hmm. then I also saw that, yeah, he lived 103. So that's a 30 more years of. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
yeah, you, that was kind of like the very first thing that hit me at the beginning, because as I'm like watching it, I'm like, wait, what? And I start looking it up. And the very first thing you see is it was kind of like this educational film. And I thought to myself, um, how much longer did this guy live after? Like, how, you know, how it, mm -hmm. it begs the begs the internal question of like how much longer till this guy may or may not have suffered the same fate that he was like portraying in the movie, you know, not mm -hmm. to be too depressing about it. But that's exactly what my brain went to. And then I looked up and was like, no. Dude had a whole life ahead of him. <laughs> yeah. After that, like, yeah. pretty much. So it was pretty, pretty wild. But the only other thing that I saw that he was in was he was in Martin in 1977, which mm -hmm. um, I've, I don't think I've seen the whole way through, to be honest with you. It's another Romero film that is just kind of snuck under the radar for me. But I do remember it's about a kid who thinks he's a vampire. Is that yeah. accurate? Um, yeah. Which which led me to believe um, immediately took me to is this like the prequel to Vampire's Kiss? I understand <laughs> that Nicolas Cage is not in it, but I was like, wait, that sounds remarkably like the the plot for Vampire's Kiss. Um, yeah. But otherwise, I think he was kind of a stage actor, right? Yeah. yeah. Everything I read, it seemed to be he was a stage actor, mm -hmm. and you kind of get that from his performance. He's very you know big and open and projecty and hundred yeah. percent yeah he's very much um yeah he, even his mannerisms uh the the, the kind of level of drama he's inserting into you know his kind of deterioration as a human is uh is is it seems like a stage performance right mm -hmm. but in a great way i think in an effective yeah, yeah. way yeah, I just I have to jump in and just because I feel like, yeah, Meg's going to bring the emotional aspect to this because I love bringing the pain to this podcast. Uh, how, how would you like to how would you like to suck our life force out? How today, would Meg? I like to cry tonight on my like on the floor, on the couch? Uh, no, but I think what they did an amazing job at was like, I feel like when you watch it, you have either heard of stories or or you've experienced stories with your own family of like these type of things happening. And then at the, ah, oh, so much loneliness. I can't help but like be like, I, that crushed me where I'm like, man, I understand that feeling. And I can only imagine when you're in this very confused state and people could be taking advantage of you and everything is like working against you because ultimately no one really cares. And you kind of become this like, burden of sorts and it's like almost like this biggest fear and i think what i really took up out of this is like what i love about certain horror movies is when they bring real life and you're like holy shit this is the scariest thing i've ever experienced oh yeah it reminded me it had shades of and now the name is going to escape me but what is the british film from the 70s about uh, uh like a nuclear holocaust Ooh. Oh, oh man! Uh, it's one word. It's a one word, and people who are listening are screaming it right now. But I'll look it up. But um, <laughs> uh, it's 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 very much um, uh, kind of shades of that because it's just painfully, painfully realistic. Although the movie itself is. I would say kind of surreal, like everything coming down to, you know, obviously this is not how people act. You know, it's kind of this society that works within an amusement park, but it is just like the, the, the real emotion that is being poured out from this super surreal, darkly surreal mm -hmm. uh, scene. I mean, even down to like stuff that was almost borderline comical. Like the restaurant scene, you know, mm, where the the waiter's yeah. taking the order with a giant oversized pencil and the menu is enormous and all this weird, like it's very surreal. It's very meant to be very, but it's all played 
to be disorienting, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah, brutal, brutal. Yeah, and, I, and just one of the like notes. So I mean, just the basic setup of the film is that you know this older man finds himself in an amusement park, and then just like different parts of the amusement park just play out. It's it's all a mirror of what regular real life is. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Within the amusement park. But like the one thing that stood out to me about that was almost every shot you see people moving in it, whether he's moving or not. Mm -hmm. And it's like the constant movement and turmoil that's like really disorienting and really, you know, like how people can just get swept up in the rest of the world because, you know, people are going about their day no matter what. Yeah. Yeah. The the metaphors I would say are like are, are not terrifically dissimilar to last last week's movie with um the strange thing about the johnsons like the metaphors are very on the nose but it makes sense considering the purpose of the movie which it Mm -hmm. was as you know this kind of educational psa type of thing like when he's pick when he's pickpocketed like Mm -hmm. he immediately learns that he was pickpocketed not Mm -hmm. like 20 minutes later when he goes to get his tickets out or whatever but yeah i I guess we should probably we we jumped right into it which i think is is great but let's we should probably talk about like the premise of the movie, which is really, really straightforward. Um, the story begins with um, a young Colonel Harlan Sanders. Um, and, no, I'm just kidding. He, but he does. Does he not remind you of Colonel Sanders? I couldn't stop oh, looking does, yeah. at his suit. No, it, it's it starts out with this with this older gentleman, and he's in this. You know, I I hesitate to say like purgatory, but it is very much this like mm-hmm. dream state kind of thing where he's. His consciousness is looking at his future self, sitting there, dejected, like beat up, physically beat up, crying, distraught. And he's like, what's going on out there? And he's like, there's nothing out there. Don't go out there kind Mm -hmm. of thing. And then, of course, he's like, happy-go-lucky at this point. And he Mm -hmm. walks out the door. And he's like, I think I'll figure it out, Kai, and walks out. And the most crushing part of this whole, whole movie for me is the slow it's not that slow it progresses pretty quickly but the gradual i guess um transformation of him as an independent um optimistic kind of happy-go-lucky older gentleman who's confident to this just uh miserable defeated person in Mm -hmm. in the matter of yeah because the whole the whole runtime is only about an hour right yeah Mm -hmm. um so it's it's uh it's the socioeconomic element uh, in particular was really, really depressing to me because mm-hmm. it just mirrors so many things we're seeing. I mean, none of this has changed, right? This is 1973 and none of this has changed. Right. Right. Um, so that's that was the most. Uh, and and I'm sorry, we're getting real depressing. There were also some great Yinzer accents. <laughs> yeah, there were. <laughs> I'm sorry. I was just, I'm literally like, I'm like, okay, I'm going to go lay in traffic. Let's talk about Yinzer accents. It was um, my favorite one, the cop in the bumper car scene. Do you guys yeah. remember him? Yeah. Oh, yeah. my God, yeah. He's like, now I'm going to tell Yins, I'm not going to tell Yins again. All right? He's like, <laughs> it's like listen, that, now I'm not going to tell Yins again. We all again. know this guy. He honestly, and the thing is, like, he had like a mustache, and so he looked a bit like he—he he looked a bit like the character Pittsburgh Dad. Yeah, know, that's what I was just about so, to say. He was all of our dads. Yeah, he was yeah. a stereotypical Pittsburgh Dad, definitely. <laughs> yeah, that one stuck out hard because it's oh, just like, oh, <laughs> yeah, it hit hard. I, 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 I can't help but remember in uh, in high school. 
I uh, performed in an, an ill-advised version of uh, the uh, the Music Man, and I played a cop, and everyone's <laughs> up there doing their lines, and I only had a couple lines, and everyone's like speaking in this very non-regional diction, and then I <laughs> I jump into the scene, I'm like, hey, we ain't staring over here. Like, oh God! <laughs> my parents love to like pull pull that out and show people because it's just I don't know. I just went super yinzer with Man, it. Man, if and... that exists, we all need to see this. Uh, we will do an off. episode on this. It paid show. off so hard. It paid off so hard. The yinzer music <laughs> man. <laughs> um, but yeah. So um, yeah, just like the optimism getting crushed is just just brutal. Just brutal. Um, so another another kind of quick uh, fact. So the, I thought the cinematography, the sound design. Again, everything is designed to uh, to kind of lend this disorienting quality or this like hopelessly disoriented quality. Even at one point, and this might be my favorite scene or the most effective scene, was when the um, uh, the young couple go in to see the fortune teller. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, and they see their future of like him, you know, the 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 man in the relationship. Uh, it's a it's a man and woman, you know, where apparently a couple, and they look into the future, and they've you know got married, whatever. They're elderly, and the man is like dying, and the woman can't get help because they don't have any money. And uh, and then all of a sudden, a, a marching band comes through. It's one of those things where like, yeah, if you would have added different music or cinematography, it almost could have been played as like a. It almost could have been like a Monty Python sketch or something like mm. that. It was so absurdist, but like, yeah, just the the, the performances, especially for most of the people that per, the performers were volunteers, from what I understand, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. It was mostly yeah, volunteers, and then like also to just go along with how kind of ridiculous that scene is. the the older The older version of the woman is calling a doctor to try and get you know, them that come visit the, the older version of the husband and the doctor on the other end of the phone is like constantly you know, inundated with people. And he's wearing this flashy jacket. He's yeah. play, he's playing mm-hmm. this obvious doctor that is just doing things for money and doesn't right. actually care about his patients. Yeah. But yeah, it, it's all just chaotic and hectic and just yeah nightmarish stress inducing yeah the the, um i I thought this was interesting too as uh, as we're talking about the cinematography the cinematographer was uh actually bill hinsman who was the first zombie in night of the living dead the one that Mm. that kills johnny and chases Mm -hmm. chases barbara he later directed a couple of yinzer horror classics majorettes and flesh eater, <laughs> which are two absolute just uh, uh, just legendary Yinzer horror films. I mean, talk about some some sweet Yinzer accents in there. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, it was it was. Uh, oh, another thing about that scene that kind of strangely lightened the mood for me a little bit, but it ultimately accelerated the decline of the main character because this is when he got like physically injured mm-hmm. or one of the reasons when he got physically injured is that after they kind of wake up from the trance they were in with the you know whatever it was the the fortune teller i guess the 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 husband or the 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 male in the relationship runs out and just eric andre's the bench like yeah. literally <laughs> just just dives through it <laughs> smashing it and like Wait, who wouldn't you come out of that feeling at the very least sympathetic for older people or he mm-hmm. was just instead in just in incensed with this 
insane rage and just yeah, yeah throws himself through the bench like but the th- intro to the Eric Andre show. Yeah. But I think what was cool about that is like almost you get exposed to this like level of like ego there is when we're younger and like they totally finish it off and I like made sure to like bookmark this quote. It's like consider taking some t- um some positive action while you're young enough to be uh, positive influence yeah. and I'll see you in the parks. So it's just like almost like this level of like that makes sense that his response would just be like angry and just like reactive because you're like, this isn't going to happen to me. This is, you know, or you're going to deny it. Yeah. Until it's never, inevitable. It can never happen to me. I would never put myself in that position. You know, I'm too right. this, I'm too that. I would never allow that to happen. Yeah. Right. You're a hundred percent. You're a hundred percent. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's a, it's, it's like a real meta part of it. Cause we're told at the beginning you know, in the preamble, you know, this is going to happen to us. We are going to get old. Right. Mm-hmm. And then we're shown, you know, hey, somebody is also being told they're going to get old and then they freak out. And yeah. he comes out and runs through the bench and then Molly whops the old guy and it just. <laughs> <ugh>. And then <laughs> and then after that, the scariest thing a elderly person in 1973 can possibly imagine. Bikers. Biker gang. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, and bikers come out and interesting, uh, about, you know, we talked about how everyone already always knows somebody who's in one of, you know, one of these George Romero movies, uh, coincidentally, all of those bikers are my dad. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's kind of an interesting, interesting little, <laughs> little personal, little personal thing there. Um, but uh, yeah, so so they, and then they pickpocket him. They just beat the shit out of him again. It's just yeah. it's it's brutal. And then maybe the most heart wrenching scene um, near the end. Well, actually, before that, one thing I thought was kind of interesting because this was like we said commissioned by an organization that at least has some sort of religious ties, right? It's some sort mm-hmm. of like um, Lutheran charity organization. I thought it was pretty ballsy to insert the hey, the church doesn't care either scene. Uh, Although it was very, you you could tell it was very, very subdued. I mean, it was just like he walked up and there was like a sign that said like no church for you. And then he, he fucked off. But like that was, I thought that was kind of ballsy. I I, I wish they would have went deeper. I honestly feel like that could have been one of those things that like triggered them immediately. Cause I think that's a good point to make that like they turned their back. And I think we see that all the time in different scenarios. If we want to really go down that rabbit hole of like, these organizations that want to help people and they say they're helping people, but what are they doing at the heart of it? They're doing the bare minimum. And I'm not to discount every single one. I'm not trying to do that, but we see that happening all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It was, or, or saying like, Hey, we're, yeah, it was just because they really laid into the, the hospital. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, because when he was in the doctor's office and everyone's just, ho- you know, hustling him along, not really paying, giving him any type of real care, just just basically going through the motions so they could bill him. Right. That was the whole mm-hmm. that was the whole idea. And they really laid it on thick with the with the the medical kind of community but they didn't really lay into the church i feel like as hard as they could have and i think you're right it might had something to do with the fact that a, a christian organization funded the film i don't i don't know i don't want to speak for him but um yeah i wonder if that had something to do with them kind of shelving it because from what i could read they thought it was a little edgy for what they wanted to to get done i guess or something like yeah. that That's very fair. vague what i read was very vague though yeah. Did anybody else hear anything different no everything's no. everything seemed pretty vague but also yeah you know you can only make assumptions i think but i yeah i think if you consider like what you're what a 
group like that would want out of an educational film. Mm. They don't want this overly loud, overly tense, you know, film that's like, it's kind of, it's experimental for Mm -hmm. sure. Even though it's like very easy for people to, at least of our age, you know, Mm -hmm. of the experimental films that we've experienced, you know, maybe, maybe back in the seventies, they don't want that kind of nonsense. And then like, also you just have visions, visions of death showing up. And, Mm -hmm. you know, as we've mentioned, the church being a little bit lambasted in that, although they were Catholic priests. So that's true. They were like, don't worry. It's 1973. We're still allowed to make fun of Catholics. Um, but uh, you know what? One thing that I that I I couldn't help but but notice. Um, well, I guess uh, I guess one thing I would say before that is, I you're probably 100 percent right. They saw it more like this was a little bit much for what we were anticipating. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but when you get George, I understand George Romero wasn't George Romero by that point, right? Mm-hmm. This was mm-hmm. only five years out after Night of the Living Dead. But Night of the Living Dead was already. You know, a well-known, obviously, film. Certainly, in certainly in the region, it would have been extremely well-known. Um, but you know, when you now looking back on it, if a movie is able to accomplish what it set out to do fifty years ago, like it's a pretty fucking good film, right? Yeah. Like, which I feel like it a hundred percent did. Um, and that that thing it set out to do was not necessarily entertain the hell out of you although i I, you know i I didn't lose interest in it but it absolutely made me reconsider you know am i you know as sympathetic as i should be you know what i mean or or am i doing as much as i can when i'm young to to help people who are in that situation and and that sort of thing and it, it like if that's the if that's the driving force behind the making of the film like god damn it did a pretty good job Mm -hmm. yeah yeah yeah, it was effective. I just think it's probably too weird for a church program to put out, you know? Especially yeah, in 1973. Yeah, yeah. 100%. 100%. <laughs> like, Kirk Cameron didn't even exist then. Right. Um, also, one last thing. Um, if a doctor puts a stethoscope on your forehead... Um, that's a dead giveaway. That man's not a doctor. That's, not, that's, all, that's all I'm saying. I've fallen for that a couple times. And, I don't know uh, if you guys, yeah. I want to add one more thing too that I don't know if you guys felt this way. I almost for two seconds felt this redeeming hope when um, the main character like met that little girl at the end was like reading to oh her. Oh my God. I was, just, and, I was just about to say it was brutal. And I, and I felt like it was almost like, okay, well, yeah, I know like the youth is the future of sorts and they can actually, you know, you know, connect with older people in a different way because they get to give this like caretaker thing and make them feel like they have a purpose. And then all of a sudden I was ripped away and you're like, Mm -hmm. Oh my God, that's heartbreaking. Yeah. That, that was maybe the most that scene. And that was when he really like the, um, the theater actor kind of mentality uh, mm-hmm. of, of of the performance like really paid off, which was mm-hmm. his like, yeah, the tr- the crying scene. There's nothing that's going to kill me quicker than like an old person weeping. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's rough. And he did. And he oh, man, it was so convincing. It was so it, it just boy rip, ripped your heart out. And uh, yeah, just uh, made you go to bed real sad. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're off to a killer start. I'm with very happy sense. that I drank, that I ate an edible before that because I was like, okay, I God. can just like calm down and go to bed. <laughs> it's like, right after right that, to bed. <laughs> yeah, 
kids. That's uh, yeah. That's how I was like. All right, I'm going to um, get snowed and watch NES Ducktail speed running right after this. It's the only thing that's going to get my mind off of this. But um, yeah, any final thoughts on or, or on the amusement park before we wrap up this here minisode? Well, it's good. It's good to know that uh, Picnic Chicken has not changed from the seventies too much. <laughs> God, I love Picnic Chicken. Jesus Christ. <laughs> picnic Chicken is second only to Gas Station Chicken, in my mind. Oh, Pretty much. both so good. It, it was, it, that was the one thing that kind of just pulled me out, is there's that one <laughs> solitary shot of the sad, half-eaten drum sitting on the stones. I know. Like, right you after all that. You must want to reach out and take oh, it. No. I kind of yeah. wanted it. I was yeah. like, can I have that? <laughs> like, it reminded me, it, it, uh, it, it did the same thing to me. It kind of took me out of it a little bit, because it would just want to... It was almost like there's another scene that I can't think of that's kind of like this, but it was almost a, a milk was a bad choice scene. You know what I mean? Like, well, why am I eating this chicken? I'm in so emotional. Uh, but yeah, it was <laughs> it was simultaneously the most uh, depressing and uh, and goofy scene I think yeah. of, of the film. But cool. Any any final thoughts on uh, on the amusement park? How, what did you think overall? Do we, happy we watched it? Sad you watched it? Would you ever watch it again? I definitely would watch it again. I would have other people watch it, but I feel like it would more so be in my uh, typical like projector. Like, hey, yeah, no, take care of yourself now. You know, live while you're young. <laughs> Meg is the yeah. only one who would watch it again because she would use it to make other people feel bad. Because that's really what her goal is in life. Meg is weaponizing film, and I don't know how I feel about it. <laughs> she 100% is. She uses film as uh, a, a way to um, manipulate and, and hurt people. I feel seen, uh, guys. I feel seen. <laughs> I just, I know that your 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 plan is unraveling right before your, your very eyes. Um, but... Uh, yeah, awesome. So su super fun. Go check it out if you haven't already on uh, Shutter. Um, I don't know if it's available anywhere else. I think it's a Shutter exclusive still, right? So um, go check that out. Definitely worth a watch. Uh, it ain't gonna make you feel good, um, but it's uh, it's a pretty fun watch. And anything that's in the uh, the filmography of the great George A. Romero is worth a watch in my book. So. Um, Real quick, we should probably mention as well, we wrapped up our um, our poll, right, mm -hmm. um, for for episode, yeah, yeah. Uh, our main episode number two. Do we want to talk about that or we want to wait till the next mini-sode? Uh, we, we can tell them what won, but I think, you know, we'll probably hold off what our film choices are going to yes. be for the, for the third mini-sode. Yes, agreed, agreed. Yeah, so Drum we roll. put... Yeah, we put out a poll on uh, on Instagram and on Twitter, and Meg um, was kind enough to explain to me the correct way to do a poll moving forward, <laughs> because just as I do not know how to use a microphone, and Steve had to explain to me how to hook up my mic appropriately before this episode, Meg had to explain to me how to use Instagram. Um, I'm here and, for you, Dad. Uh, yeah, I appreciate it. You guys are just constantly, I just call you guys for tech support, because I'm uh, a fucking thousand years old. But anyway, um, yeah, so we put out three different options. They were, you know, future famous directors, religious horror and found footage. And it was extremely close. Um, not the first one, Steve, your option received almost zero votes. Uh, yeah. No, it was a great it was a great one. I think it just needed too much explanation. And the other two right. were like, yeah. oh, yeah, I know what that is. Right. Right. Um, so but I think we throw that one back in the hopper because I would love to do that one someday. But it came down to religious horror and found footage were like neck and neck. And I believe by a scant 
two votes, religious horror uh, uh, pulled out the win, which I'm pretty pretty psyched about because some of my favorite movies would fall in that in that subgenre. Um, Steve and I have already argued and decided that neither of us are allowed to do Prince of Darkness, even though it has some <laughs> religious overtones. We are going to eventually let that bloodbath happen another time. Um, Just not but, yet, because somebody did pitch the idea of doing our favorite John Carpenter uh, yes. film. So when that one makes it into the poll, I'm sure it will win. And then we can fight who gets to do Prince of Darkness. <laughs> yeah, so that's the thing. I know this is your master plan because my favorite movie, my favorite Carpenter movie is definitely not Prince of Darkness, but it is one of my favorite movies of all time. I'm just a huge fucking Carpenter fan. So um, you're ultimately going to, get to do this movie. And I know you're going to, you Machiavellian bastard, you're going to yes. take it from me. Um, but yeah, so uh, that's our that's our theme for our next um main episode which will which will come out that first uh that first monday in july right which is july the 5th right so that's when that one come out so um but we'll have another mini sode in between then and now or then now and then Mm -hmm. then and now or this time and that time um (laughs) but uh yeah so so we'll see you again before that for another mini sode and uh check us out over on instagram at at halloween is forever twitter we are at hallow forever uh facebook page is halloween is forever and if you want to just drop us one of them old-fashioned emails uh it's halloween (laughs) is forever pod at gmail.com right on anything else that's it All right. Thanks, everyone, for joining us for this Halloween is Forever mini-sode, and we'll catch you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.